You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thank you for tuning in to the show. Let's just jump right in. First few things I wanted to talk about before we get into any of the topics is the Christianity 101 DVD. That's a, a, a new version of that is out. Eight gigs, just under eight gigs of material, including the entire David Guzik archive and a lot of new teaching. Took some old stuff out, put some new stuff in, and I'm really, really happy with it. I think it's going to uh, do a lot of good. If you haven't gotten a Christianity 101 DVD yet, don't hesitate to write and ask for one at the websites. There's a link to do that on all the websites, and it's totally free. I'll ship it to you wherever you are at in the world. And the reason I'm mentioning that is that uh, our good friend Bill, who has an archiving ministry and has helped um, me out, has done some stuff with Futurequake and other stuff, has has put the new Christianity 101 DVD in a torrent form. He's also come up with a really good idea to instead of linking to Pirate Bay or whatnot, um, to basically just download the little torrent file, which is like one megabyte or something file, but it links you to, you know, it activates your uTorrent software or whatever you have installed, and uh, it's a much much more efficient way to, to do this. So if you are interested, you can go to the websites, whether it's Christian, uh, chriswhiteministries.com or Nowhere to Run or whatnot and go to the place where the Christianity 101 DVD information is and it will link you to the torrent file as well as an opportunity to have one mailed to you if you would prefer that method. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. The other thing is a new uh, feature-length film from Elliot Nesh. Elliot was the filmmaker who did Zeitgeist Refuted and Zeitgeist Refuted Final Cut as well as Sycamore. And we've interviewed him here a few times. But he's got a new one out called The Real Roots of the Emergent Church. And I highly recommend this film. I have, of course, heard a lot about the Emergent Church or the Emerging Church. And and I really, really was pleased with this because it first was very educational as to what it was and what it wasn't. I feel like I know a lot better what it is and what it isn't. But I also like the title suggests, The Real Roots of the Emergent Church, I feel like I have a really good, solid foundation as that was truthful and not um, not you know, trying to grand, grandize it or whatever. I don't know what the word I'm looking for it is. But it was truthful, but also really important. I feel like the real roots of it are, are not good. I think that it is essentially trying to get people, well-meaning people, to open up doors in their life. And it's really easy to attract them because they're just sort of appealing to uh, their flesh in a lot of ways. But the the real trouble is in this roots and what it's doing and where it comes from. So check it out if you haven't uh, already. It's, again, called The Real Roots of the Emergent Church. You can see it on YouTube uh, on his channel, which is youtube.com slash user slash Elliot Nesh. N-E-S-C-H. Okay, so a few different things. I wanted to talk about, um, well, people have been asking me to talk about current events and stuff like that, but I'm really, I haven't been that up on current events lately other than here and there, and and I'm really not not somebody that I think 
can do you a lot of good by talking about current events. But some of the, somebody that I think does do that well is the Revelations Radio News program on the Revelations Radio Network. Man, they're doing a really great job. I really enjoy that show. If you haven't heard it yet, uh, go to revelationsradionetwork.com. You can click the News tab and see their archives there. You can also see them on Facebook and different places like that. So check them out. They do a really good job of, uh, of keeping you updated on what's going on. Okay, transitioning to an issue that I want to talk about because I've been learning a lot about uh, sin issues and, and especially in my life and, and different uh, areas of victory and different areas of, of, of struggle. And I want to just discuss it because I know that everybody, you know, at least those of you that are saved and that are trying to follow the Lord are, are dealing with these issues. And, you know, if I could, you know, share some of my experiences and some of my uh, um, knowledge about it, as limited as it may be, maybe it would help somebody to to progress even faster because they can avoid some of the pitfalls that uh, I have gone ahead and, and, and fallen in for you. So maybe uh, um, it's good to let you know that I hope I don't come across as somebody that's, you know, got all this stuff figured out and it doesn't struggle with sin issues or whatever. And if I do, that's certainly not what I'm trying to convey. Um, and and I would say, on the other hand, though, that there is a, a really solid, continued progression of not just having uh, beat sins, but also having, uh, you know, really a heart-level change about sin. And then I do feel that, I guess I want to preface that in saying that I do feel that I'm progressing more and more every day. And I think that's a good thing. But that doesn't mean that those sins that I may have thought I've conquered don't come back and I might fall again. And and so it's 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 a pe- it's peppered. These This grand victory is peppered with defeats, I, I would say. How I guess I would term it, and I'm not really talking about one particular sin. I'm really come at least three issues that what I'm about to say have applied to, and so I feel like it it would apply to most of the situations that people out there struggle with. Because, and the main thing is 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 the observation about first of all, if you give any sin an inch, it will take a mile. And especially those things that you may have thought that you have conquered or have some measure of, of, of victory in, if you dabble, and, and keep in mind, Satan has a lot of patience. He knows, he's seen uh, the the fruits of, of dabbling before. He is quite happy with just an inch, you know, here, because he knows the power of that uh, inch. And, and I don't know how it functions or whatever, but I kind of think of it like this. Don't don't hold me to this theologically, but I think of it as is, you know, when you when you do even, you know, whatever it is and you give it that little bit and it just sort of begins this new desire cycle that may be small at first, but then but then obviously that that would coax you to do it again. And then the cycle gets stronger. And it really can be a long drawn out thing. But we need to figure out how to stop the cycle altogether. And to get back to that place of where the freedom from the bondage of sin is to be freed from those desires to sin. That's the great thing about Christianity is that we can not just be freed from the acts of sin, but freed from the desire 
to want to sin. And across the board, how that's done is through repentance. And it's really important. I think a lot of you you know, that listen to the show understand that repentance is not feeling bad, but repentance is changing your mind about something. It is, it is a changing your mind. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind about something. Romans 12, uh, one and following talks about that, uh, renewing your mind. But I want to talk about how this works in the life of a believer and what, what mature repentance looks like and, and how it functions in the conquering of, and the ending of the cycle of, of, of giving sin a little bit and being in a place where you feel vulnerable to, to sins. Cause you know, the thing about it is if you're in a place where, you know, if something bad happened to you, you know, something real bad, like whatever, it's tragedy or something that, 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 that would be a trigger like, like anything else, you know, those things, we, we tend to make excuses in our life for sins and something like that could drive you right back into some, uh, major sin that you thought you had, um, beat. And I think that in my life recently, there's, there was that, that kind of indication where I had given certain things just a little bit of leeway. And it got to the point where I was, I, I wasn't stumbling in any of these things. I mean, but I, my heart was so close and I knew that, that if, and I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I was giving in, in, in certain degrees and in various ways and all kinds of stuff and whatever. But the thing that I was most scared about is that in an, an event of some, just some excuse, big, small, whatever the, the excuse would have to, was getting smaller and smaller would need to have been, uh, I would have, I would have done, I would have gone back into various things and I was scared about that, you know, is is it really so fragile of a thing? And the reason why, even at this level of progression, that I got back to that place where I was once again vulnerable and fragile to these kinds of things was because I had given just a little bit, you know. And, and I had gone years with um, the mindset of of repentance, which was a changed mind about it. And what I mean by that is important, and that's what I want to talk about. When, when certain things are left behind in the Christian life, certain things that we know are bad, we don't have to be convinced our sins, you know, um, it, and I talked about this in, in various things. Um, this is true with just about anything it, with alcohol and stuff like that. When I quit that smoking cigarettes or, um, I talked about this with, in connection to the homosexual, um, uh, videos that, uh, I did of the testimonies of Carolyn and, and the other lady that are now part of the homosexual tract. The reason I identified so much with their testimonies of being freed from the desires was because that was exactly what happened to me with, um, alcohol and, and smoking is that what changed was, was me saying, okay, that's it. I am done with it. I'm, I am okay with never taking another drink. I'm okay with never smoking another cigarette. And it was that, that change of mind that no matter what was coming, because I mean, the desires came for the next few months. For me, about three months, Caroline says, you know, it was another, it was a six month battle for her. But, but the difference in the same thing that we both had 
was a complete commitment in her mind. Like, no, it's done. It was locked. The key was thrown away. There is no turning back. And I don't care if these desires continue uh, at all. Um, At that point, especially in the midst of those desires, I I love how Paul talks about this metaphorically as he he beats his flesh black and blue um, so that he wouldn't be sidelined. You know, he takes that much control over his flesh. You know, and of course, he's not speaking... Physically, as some many of the uh, Catholic uh, monks, you know, would take it or whatever. But you know, the the point is, is that he he would. Um, that's the kind of level of commitment that it would take to to deal with that because of the changed mind. The changed mind was the key in my case, early on with that kind of stuff, and that has it has been the case really with all other issues that are similar. Is that if you change your mind and say, "Look, this is the last time," you know, this I, uh, this is. I'm okay with this being the last time. I want to never do it again. Like that's that's the key of repentance is that you are okay with completely leaving it behind. Not a door open that, well, you know, if the right occasion comes by or, you know, if there's a party or, you know, on a birthday or whatever. It, it's, it's, it's you being so convinced in your mind about it that it doesn't matter what, what, uh, shows up. And man, I'll tell you what, when I quit drinking, for instance, Satan came at me like, like stuff I'd never even seen, you know, opportunities to, to drink that had never presented themselves in, in 12 years, you know, exciting things started happening, but, but it was different. Although that was, that was struggling on my heart because of the, the intensity of the situation, my mind was fully resolved. And it was because of that 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 really never, you know, bothered me anymore because of the of the strong, uh, the strong mental uh, change of mind about it. Now, the that is also the answer to um, all those all those things when you stumble and you feel bad about it, you feel guilty about it, and you want to go to the Lord, and, and that's good when you decide, hey, I'm going to go to the Lord about this. That's that's key is to know. That you, when you stumble, don't. God is not mad at you. He wants you to learn from it. He wants you to use this for opportunity. Uh, he doesn't want you to go hide from him, or because that's just going to make things worse. You have to know that he is good, and that if you're saved, he's not. Your salvation is not in jeopardy now. You can't. You know, it's not. He he always looks at you with Christ's righteousness. Yes, you grieve the Holy Spirit, and yes, it's a it's not a good thing. But you're you're still His child, and when you're when you're a kid, if you have kids, you know if they do something bad, they're still your kid. You still love them, but you do want them to learn from their mistakes. You want them to grow up and to be mature, and that's what's going on here. So you need to know that you can go to God, but when you do go to God, don't just say, "Lord, I'm sorry, I won't do it again." You know, because you know that's that's one thing. Don't make any promises you you can't keep. But what I would what I would suggest is that you need to go to him and you need to to if you don't have the resolve to change your mind, try to work on that. Try to work on what it looks like in that moment to decide to change your mind. To say, I want this to be the end of the road. I, I want this to be the last time that I ever stumble from this. I I want this to be something I look back on on my uh, deathbed and say that was the last day and I want to get back on the tightrope and I want to walk it. Now, that's what you need to 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 strive for. That's not possible 
uh, right away with some issues. You know, that that's a, that's a mature repentance. But that's what you need to shoot for, that kind of changing of, of, of your mind. And that will give you power over that. And although you may have just stumbled with whatever issue it is, um, and, and because you just stumbled, the, the difficulty is going to be there because you're just right after a stumble. And so there's going to be that power over you just for a, for a moment of increasing the desire. But don't give into that. And the reason you, do, way you don't give into that is because even though that desire exists, you have successfully changed your mind about it. And so as time goes on, that desire, of course, will go down. And then, and then, and then you will get to that place of freedom again where, you know, it takes you quite a lot to to stumble again if you if you did. And, you know, Satan is always he's waiting around. He's waiting for you to be weak again. And once you're weak and once the right position, you know, uh, presents himself, he's going to he's going to make his play. And look, if you do stumble again in it, um, it you haven't broken a vow, but but you need to get back on the same mental thing. You need to make that the last time. And the, the space between the time before and the, that time should have been a longer space, you know. Um, but don't anticipate that. That's the, that's the important thing. Don't anticipate, you know, the, the coming failure. That, erase that from, from the, pos- the realm of possibility. That's what your repentance should look like. There is no allowance for that. But but I don't want you to to also think that there is no net under you in that whole thing. You know, the Lord wants to make us into mature Christians. He wants to make us into people that are living in freedom and and free from the bondage and the desire for these sins. So um, don't beat yourself up, but also realize that it is important that you that you are repentant for this, that you need to change your mind about sin. And realize that following Christ is, um, it, it, it's not a simple matter. It's not an intellectual decision that you make. And, you know, you found out that the New World Order was uh, Satanists and they're afraid of Jesus and trying to discredit him. So you're like, okay, well, then I'm a Christian. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is something that a lot of people ask Jesus to do, but he was like, no, you can't. You can't handle it. He would say to people, go, you, you know, he would turn people away and saying that nobody that puts his hand to the plow is, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says to come to me, it has to be all me or nothing. You have to you have to want to follow me to that extent where I'm the most important thing in your life. And there's lots of occasions in the Bible of people walking away and saying, OK, well, that's not for me then. I can't follow you. So don't don't. This is all in the context of to those of you who are disciples of Christ. And to those of you that aren't, um, this can only be helpful in the sense that self-help books, secular self-help books can be helpful. But there is no genuine power in your life to do it. And I'm afraid that's that's the problem, is that this is a supernatural thing that I'm talking about. This has no application to those of you that are not saved, because it is impossible for you to be freed from the bondage of sin. in, in one sense, you can be free from the acts of sin. You can even decrease to a certain extent your desire. But the bondage will always be there. And you will be sold to it. Uh, anyway, moving on. I want to talk a little bit in the same kind of vein about the book of Philippians. I've been uh, We just got done with a study in this uh, little home group that we have with the book of uh, Philippians. And there were just so many opportunities to talk about 
this great little book. And if you haven't ever done a study of it, I certainly encourage you. But one particular section of scripture really hit me, which was Philippians four eleven through 13. And I'll just read it. It says, uh, and he's speaking to the Philippians who had given him some uh, support or whatever. And he's saying, look, thanks, for, thanks a lot for it. And then he says this, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is the you know it's one thing to to understand that Paul was in prison and that that he went through all these various trials and he learned how to rejoice in that moment and that's a lot of sermons have been preached on that and everything but there was another part of this that I think is more applicable to us in the west and that is um I know how to be abased okay well that's we know that um but I also know how to abound. He knows how to successfully navigate the trials of abounding. When you have a full refrigerator and have everything that you need, that is a more difficult thing for you spiritually than to be abased in many ways for a Christian. But he continues here, and it says similar things. Um, um, Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full... Okay, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And it's interesting that he says this word learned here, and it's it's an interesting word that's used of mysteries. So it's almost as if he's saying that he learned the secret of how to be full and how to be hungry. That there's something that you can learn that would help you to to abound successfully. And in doing a lot of the research for Kenya and stuff like that, I've found that it is, a, you know, it's tempting, and I, I know some of you know what I'm talking about, it's tempting to look at all this stuff and be like, wow, I wish we could just all go over somewhere and just sell everything that we had, and then we could be truly full of joy because we wouldn't have this burden of materialism and things like that. And that's that's one extreme, and it's probably true, but it's important to recognize that there are very greedy, very materialistic, poor people as well as very greedy, materialistic, rich people. It, it's a matter of the heart, first and foremost. It's not You can be greedy over a particular walking stick or something like that. They can covet something like that, as opposed to you know what we just have more opportunities and more stuff uh, flashed in front of us on TV and stuff like that. And so we really need the secret of how to abound. We really need to figure this out. How is it that we can successfully live in a world like this and still remain, you know, not not inhibited followers of Christ, you know, not like, well, we can do pretty good here considering we're, we're bombarded with all this stuff, but to flourish, to be, um, you know, more than more than just, you know, nominal Christians, but to be Book of Acts flourishing uh, fruit-bearing Christians, even in the trials of prosperity. And so I would say that the answer here is in verse 13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that verse is, 
used to cover a lot of bases sometimes, but it's interesting that the context that it's in here is in this idea of I know how to be abased and how to abound, and I can be full and be hungry to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. The strengthening of Christ is this idea of being his strength, Christ's strength, being made perfect in our weaknesses. And our weaknesses here is a is abounding. That's a weakness that we have. That is one of the problems of the American church spiritually. We're doing good with our uh, abounding. I mean, we're, we're using the, the prosperity that we have. We give more money to missions and those kinds of things than anywhere else. And it's been said, you know, money is a great servant, but it is a cruel master. And as much as we try, money has become, in a lot of ways, our, our master here, even if we are relatively good comparing ourselves with ourselves we're doing great you know those listening to the show i'm sure but still there is an element in which uh, we are we are becoming slaves to it whether rather than having it work for us but anyway the interesting thing here is in second uh corinthians 12 the famous place where paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh and here he's talking about his physical flesh but but the answer to this is uh interesting in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and he says, And he said to me, that is the Lord said to Paul about uh, Paul's prayer to take out this thorn from his flesh three times. The Lord says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in, in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I think that's where he is coming from with this secret that he learned. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ's strength is given to Paul in his weakness. And I want to quickly give some verses about this idea of God, his, his strength in our weaknesses. There's a lot of talk of this in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think that reading some of the verses will help you give a picture of what the Bible means by that. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Colossians 1.11 says, Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Isaiah 40.29-31 in the Old Testament says this, He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young man shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Again, Isaiah 41 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So I think the obvious question is, how do we do that? Um, how do we attain this strength of God? And I think the answer is, at least in part, in this chapter, a little earlier, 
in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, which says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, again, it's his might that is going to guard our hearts and minds, and it surpasses all understanding. How do we attain it? Through uh, not being anxious, praying in everything with thanksgiving and letting our requests be made known unto God. This is the passage that is the heart of the, the great book that I always recommend, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, that when he had needs, he, he through prayer, made his request known to God, and the peace of God, which surpassed all understanding, was with him in a tangible, close way. So it's two things. It's, it's a closeness with God, which is attained through a, 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 a prayer life, that makes your request known to God. And that tangible closeness of God is our strength. And that was Hudson Taylor's point. He was trying to tell people, no, this is a real strength. It's a real tangible thing. This is not words on a page. If you only knew what what strength was available to us, but we're not doing the first part. We're not by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting our request made, be made known unto God. And so... And, and you see that actually in Paul's prayer about the thorn in his flesh. You see a closeness with God and a prayer. First, he's praying about this request, you know, Lord, take this thorn away from me. And a closeness in God in, in that, you know, he heard an answer, which was no. I mean, you have to be listening pretty pretty close to hear a no answer and not just a no, but a, a reason. My, my strength is uh, made perfect in your weakness. We need to try to learn about successfully navigating the troubled waters of flourishing. And uh, for those of you who do um, put a lot of stock in, in maybe your financial success or your material success and things like that, I think that you're going to have a great opportunity to learn how to be abased pretty soon, what with the economy and the various things going on there. We need to look at this stuff and be... Uh, be as Paul was here, you know, rejoicing in it. I mean, does anybody else, I mean, how many times does Paul st say stuff like this? I take pleasure in infirmities and all the various things he says. We got to be there. You know, we have to take pleasure in infirmities, in sufferings and needs, okay, and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't think that we understand this. It just sounds like words in the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah, Christ strengthens us, right, 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 right. And I think that we are there because we have never really needed him. We've never been in financial kind of straits. Yes, okay, I'll take that back. I mean, there's been, there's been, I'm sure, people out there listening to this like, look, I've been in situations, and I understand that. But, but you know, when you t look at this in the big picture – our financial struggles, as bad as they are, are still the envy of most of the world. Our not being able to pay the light bill is a mild concern to most of the world who have what we might consider real financial struggles. The kinds of stuff that was going on in Paul's day, I mean, persecutions, he was always looked to be killed. They tried to kill him how many times in the Bible? You know, he really needed Christ to strengthen him in this. And I hope that we can view the coming trials of economy and, well, ultimately a lot worse than just economy issues 
as an opportunity for us to flourish as a church because it will be the first time that we ever have needed him. And when you t- when you look at the church and the prophecies about the church in these times, those that don't fall away will be bright, shining lights that will be draw people to Christ. They will be doing uh, miracles that will be great witnesses. There's a great future for the church, and it is in their sufferings and in their persecutions and in their dying, but it's a great future. It's a victorious uh, future, but I think we've lost sight of that because we've lost sight of what the meaning of life is in a lot of ways, and it's not to be happy and to, to live the American dream, and and that is... If that is the the issue, we're going to have, a, and we are going to have a lot of angry people in this world when that happens. There's going to be a lot of people who have been told that's what life is, and when they lose it, it's going to be scary. But we need to be the light. We need to be the salt. We need to be the ones that are giving our food away. We need to be the ones that are uh, uh, helping people when we can. And to, and, and and the reason is is because we have a God that will help us. They don't. They need a God that can help them. And anyway, I've gone through that many times in this show. Okay, I wanted to talk about some of the stuff coming up with the Africa trip, stuff that is just blowing my mind, some really exciting stuff that I think is just on the cutting edge of of evangelism in, in closed countries and things like that, the opportunities that this poses for especially those countries where the gospel is illegal, I think, are astounding. But let me just start off by saying that first it's going really good. The the writing and the studying uh, for the six uh, presentations that I'll be giving has been a paramount concern. And I'm doing, I'm doing more studying with this than I have in anything. I think that it's going to bear a lot of fruit, not just at the conference, but also uh, worldwide with turning this into a, a series that is essentially training not just leaders over there, but leaders over here, and especially on these root topics, baseline things that about evangelism and discipleship and leadership. And it's just everything that I would want to say to train leaders here. Uh, so it, it's got it's got a lot of implications, and therefore it's got me really, really trying to focus and do a good job. So I'm going pretty slow with the research, and, the, and I've got a ton of books to read and all kinds of stuff there, but... That's the primary thing. But the secondary things are what really have me excited recently. The I've talked before about getting the Bibles and the various dialects to people via Bluetooth technology to cell phones and the concordance that I'm putting together uh, as well that can be transferred via Bluetooth to cell phones. It's a really important to realize how, the the amazing amount of... Uh, cell phones that people have in Africa and India and all these different countries, especially, especially the fact that they are poor. And a good example of that is I asked the guy running the conference about when I was first trying to get an idea of what I could do to be most effective for him. And I was asking them about computers because I was thinking I could get them Bible uh, study software and all kinds of stuff in Swahili. And he was like, well, they don't really have computers, nor do they have access to them. Most of them um, can't even pay to go to an internet cafe. So I was like shot down there, but, uh, it came out that all of them have cell phones. I mean, that was just like a given. It's like, oh yeah, they all have cell phones. And 
we're talking about this is true in, in some of the poorest areas and in places like India as well. And this has been noted by uh, missiologists lately, and they're starting to realize the implications here that this could have to missions because everybody's carrying around a multimedia device that is able to be connected wirelessly through Bluetooth, at least, whether or not they have Wi-Fi connection, which most of these types of phones would not. So there is a small group of techie, nerdy missiologists who are on the cutting edge of this, realizing that now what needs to be done is content needs to be created. And so, um, like, for example, this, this concordance I want to do, I've got it down to 66 text files, 66 books in the Bible. But now what am I going to do? I mean, I need to convert that to an app, basically an app that it, that will run on the oldest phones that are using. Uh, so I need either to learn Java and to learn extremely technical stuff, which I'm actually was in the process of doing, or I need to find somebody that has written software to do it for me. And I've I've contacted, there's all kinds of stuff I'm not going to get into, really complicated technical stuff about getting this to phones and all kinds of cross-platform questions. But I contacted one of the guys who uh, is sort of at, at the hub of a lot of this, you know, this small subculture of, of missions people that realize the importance of this. And he led me to some stuff that was like, oh my goodness, this is all going to work. And there are, these are the people that I need to talk to. And I've run into a guy who basically has just written software so that content like this can be created and he's all on board i mean he's wanting to do it for himself for uh you know for for free uh just all kinds of stuff has been falling together with the technology to be able to do this but another thing that has been plaguing me is how i'm going to get this to so many people it's just going to be me there and this is something that you know maybe at the most i could do five six cell phones at a time through my computer and and what's known as a bluetooth dongle uh but so that was a challenge, and it led me to something that I think might be a pretty serious innovation in all this. Ang has great implications for the uh, the spreading of the Bible to people in closed countries. And it's proximity marketing through Bluetooth. What that is is they have these little devices that um, when people are in range, it basically sends them uh, if they have Bluetooth enabled on their phone, it sends them a file and they can choose to accept it or deny it or whatever. It's opt in. And if they choose to accept it, you know, they just hit the button and all of a sudden they've got a searchable, downloadable New Testament on their phone. Uh, and so this can search for uh, anybody that has. So basically at a conference situation, it works for me. I can just set it down, have it pre-programmed to send whatever files I need, tell everybody to turn on their Bluetooth on their cell phones and it'll just start zapping this to all 400 people. So it saves me the logistics of having to do it, which was pretty much a big big concern on my part. But what what now that also has implications for, and these are getting smaller, these proximity Bluetooth marketing devices, it is not well known in America for various reasons, but it's really big overseas. And uh, they're also so small, can, they can be battery powered and stuff like that. And relatively cheap, from what I, from what I can find, the I found one for like $150, which is not too bad considering, you know, what uh, it does and the possibilities that it can do. So I, I'm I'm hopeful that that uh, that has big implications there. But um, also learning the software to create different translations of the Bible, such as uh, Luo, which is a dialect that is not created in this in this. Uh, 
software format. So I've been talking with one of the guys who runs what's known as Go Bible. Um, it's a it's a Java app called Go Bible. There's two of them that are called Go Bible, but this one particularly is is made for this exact purpose, and they have the different uh, midlets for this. And anyway, I don't want to bore you too much with that. I do want to mention also something that I just started doing is I realized that not everybody was going to have a cell phone. I asked him, like, what are how many of these 400 do you think would not have cell phones? And he said about maybe 20. And so I put together uh, the I cut out from a from my hard copy of the Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge Concordance, the New Testament, and it's probably about 100 and it, it is it is 186 pages. And they're about half a sheet, so I can actually put them together uh, and create a full sheet and do front and back. And I basically can a stack of papers about you know half that, which is something I can easily bring in a suitcase. So putting that together, hard copies for them, I need to get them bound somehow. Probably take them to Kinko's or whatever it's called now and do that. I'm just sort of rambling here, but there's some other stuff that I would, did want to get to. Um, uh, the radio station and the 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 stuff with Swahili and different uh, dialects in audio form and the recording of that, as well as some of the other things that I've mentioned in the video. Anyway, all that to say that it's really, really going good and things are coming together. I'm meeting people that can really, I think, uh, help in a, in a global missions sense. I think this needs to be talked about more in the implications of it in, in, in missiology, because you can have a pastor for free. You, you know, well, think of this. You've got one little hard drive, basically, that you don't have. It's free. You can give somebody a Bible and a concordance in their in their dialect on something that they already carry. There's no there's no money being transferred there. There's no hard copies of anything being given to somebody in the past. I mean, we're talking just a few years ago. If you wanted to do this, you got to get you got to pay a lot of money to get those Bibles to them, get a concordance to them, seriously? I mean, those things are, are huge. So you got to get a concordance, you got to get a Bible. It's astronomical prices, and that one pastor can use it. You know, Maybe he could give it to another person in a local situation. But here you could travel to pastor's conference and zap a concordance and a Bible to their heart language to everybody in the room. Think about the con the con. For short-term mission trips, you know, people go over there and do miming stuff or whatever the stuff that people do when they go to the short-term uh, missionaries' uh, mission trips. You could turn a short-term mission trip into, like, one of the most productive things ever. You could actually spend the time in planning in producing content with some of these servers, you know, uh, or s software things. So you could say, hey, we need to get them this book, this book, and this book, or or whatever, and you can produce that content in their language uh, and 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 turn it into the software and then put it on your hard drive and give it to these people at the at the place that you're going. Uh, assuming, and this is something that I'm saying, you can assume now that they have cell phones or video clips or something. And that's another thing altogether. And there is uh, some of that being done. I'm, I'm rambling, but you can tell that I'm excited about it. So anyway, thanks to everybody that, uh, that's uh, praying for that. And please continue to pray for it. It's something that I really want to do a good job with. I want to bear fruit. I want to do as much good as I possibly can. And as a result, I've been spending a lot of time uh, on that. And uh, so anyway, fundraising is going pretty good. I'm probably a quarter of the way there, and that's pretty good, I guess, uh, considering that it is uh, a good four months away. So thanks to all of you that have supported. Uh, I do 
want to use it for the glory of God. I want to make sure that it's used to bear a lot of fruit. And I do think this is a good opportunity to bear fruit. So with that being said, I want to remind you of some of the things that I said, which was about the Christianity 101 DVD and the new torrent there that Bill's put together. You can go to the website and check that out. Also, Elliot Nesh's new film uh, about the emergent church, the real roots of the emergent church. Uh, remember what I talked about, about sin and repentance in a believer's uh, uh, life and also Philippians and trying to learn how to abound, how to be in the West and still be uh, unaffected by it. So I'll leave you with that. Thanks to everyone again, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I've recently been invited to speak to up to 400 pastors at a conference being held in Western Kenya in June of 2012. They have invited me to speak on the topics of evangelism, discipleship, and leadership. The conference will be held over the course of three days. Afterward, I will be traveling to other churches in Kenya and Uganda, teaching on these same topics, as well as visiting many orphanages along the way. I will actually be in Kenya a little over two months. While my primary mission is to teach at these various locations, I also hope to accomplish much more during my stay in Kenya. The first is scripture distribution. In Kenya and Uganda, there are many pastors that I will be speaking to, especially in the more rural areas, that do not yet have a copy of the Bible in their native language, and so a primary goal will be to distribute copies of the scripture in the various dialects to the pastors that I will be teaching. I've also been developing a plan to get a digital Bible into the hands of even more people through the use of Bluetooth file transfer. It's been noted in a recent missions journal that although access to computers for the poor in these areas is minimal and not expected to change much anytime soon, access to older style cell phones is becoming nearly universal and affordable even for the relatively poor. At the conferences and meetings, I will be wirelessly transferring copies of the scripture in Swahili to any pastors that have mobile phones using Bluetooth because Bluetooth does not require an internet connection or a cell signal to transfer data. The idea is that these pastors can then go back to their home congregations and transfer these copies of the scripture to their own people who may for the first time have their own copy of the word of God in their language. I've also been developing a copy of concordances that can be transferred using the same technology. This is pretty important as there's almost no Bible study tools that I can find available, such as concordances in many African dialects like Swahili. I have high hopes for the impact of this project alone on the Kenyan church and hopefully all of Africa. I also hope to set up at least one low-power FM radio station that can constantly play the scriptures in native dialects or verse-by-verse -verse teaching using a small $100 FM transmitter and a simple MP3 player. If this combo is placed in the second floor of a church, it could easily cover an entire Kenyan town. Many people in Kenya have access to FM radios, and I believe this is a very cost-effective way to get the Bible to people. There are many other projects that I would like to do while in Kenya and Uganda, such as video documentaries, a translation of important videos to local dialects, refutations of local cult teachings, and of course the work with the orphanages. But the primary goal of the two months in Kenya is to equip the church in Kenya with the scripture and the ability to understand the scriptures more perfectly. I pray that you would consider supporting this mission to Africa. Literally anything will help. 
All donations are fully tax deductible and you will receive a receipt in the mail for your records at the end of the month that you contribute. I will seek to use any donations as wisely as I know how to. The stories of recent missionaries to this area are always similar. They report that the Kenyan church in their great need have had to rely fully on God. They fast and pray and seek the Lord with all their heart. And as a result, they have a joy and a pure faith that we in the West can learn a lot from. Their lack now is only in the tools to understand the Bible more fully, to move from milk to solid food, to grow strong in their understanding of the scriptures. And I believe that God has a great plan for the Kenyan church in the future, not just to reach Africa, but to be a part of a great revival. Please join me in this opportunity for bearing fruit. There are links in the description section and on your screen for ways to donate.